The uh, title of the talk, if you've looked at the bulletin, the title of the talk is Peter's Infomercial. I don't know uh, how many of you are into infomercials. I don't know how many of you would admit it if you were. But uh, infomercials are pretty crazy. I don't know if you've spent much time, but uh, just kind of at late at night, maybe you get to a certain channel and you just kind of pause there for longer. You don't know why, but you're still, it's just kind of lingering. You're watching this infomercial. And infomercials are pretty unique, and yet have, you've noticed, if you've watched any infomercials for any period of time, there's basically a standard pattern to all infomercials. So if you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all. Some things change, but by and large, this is the way most infomercials go. You have the name of the product. Now, the name of the product is very, very important. It's the part where you really either capture people or lose people, and so you have products like ShamWow. <laughs> have you guys heard of that, right? Um, not just a sham, but a ShamWow. Right, that, that changes everything, right? Or, or you have products like the Snuggie. Yeah, some of you are closet Snuggie owners, and we know it. Um, or the Magic Bullet. Okay, some, several of you have clapped, okay? This thing, like, purees food, but here's the key. It doesn't matter what it does. You call it magic, and you make it a bullet, and you appeal to all kinds of people, right? Magic bullet, it's perfect. Or, maybe some of you have seen the egg genie. Oh, some of you are going to look it up when you get home, I can tell. <laughs> but here, here's the deal. <clears throat> when it comes to infomercials, you want, you want to convey excitement with the name. Or you want, I mean, this is the key, you want something that has to do with, like, magic or wizards or something, Right? That's, that's going to capture people, so the name of the product is really important. Once you get past the name of the product, then it goes into what are the benefits of the product, right? This thing has to do something for you that's going to make it worthwhile to pull your credit card out. So you have to think about what are the benefits of this particular product. And so they vary from product to product, but generally they make your life easier, all of these products do. Hopefully, right? They make you happy. Maybe they make you rich. There's chances that they save you money. All kind, they give you rock-hard abs, right? They, they make people want to have sex with you. It doesn't matter what these products are. That, that somehow it all leads back to rock-hard abs and sex, eventually, right? Yeah, it's weird. But all these infomercials kind of have a, a general theme to them. But so you have these infomercials, you go from the name, you go to the product, and then last of all, last but not least, you have the cost, right? You've got to get to the cost. The cost is at the end. And this is, this is generally how it works. They say it's a low introductory offer, right? They're just getting the word out on this product. They're going to give you their best deal from the beginning. But then they go through this, like, thing where they just reel you in, okay? It goes something like this. A product of this quality, you would expect to be $499, but it's not, right? And then it's, you would even think maybe $399, but it's not. $299? No, it's $1999, right? <laughs> they, they get you from whatever number they start with, they somehow get it down to like $1999. And then, tell me what comes next, you know. 
Ah, yeah, see, you've seen them, right? There you go. But wait, there's more, right? Or act fast. And then what do they do? Like, two for one, right? It's crazy. It's like 1999, but if you, right now, call right now. People are waiting. Two for the price of one. It's amazing, right? So we have these infomercials, and all of us are familiar with them. And I feel like when we get to this part of the book of Acts, Peter goes into a bit of an infomercial, okay? So we're coming off of the Holy Spirit has just come down. Crazy things are happening. People are coming to know Jesus in droves. There's this mighty rushing wind. People are speaking in all kinds of foreign languages. Great things are happening. The crowd is standing in amazement. And then they kind of hand the mic to Peter. And Peter's like, it's showtime. It's time for him to preach. He's got to be up front. He's ready to declare this message. And he starts off with a message. And it isn't like a really pleasing message. He starts off basically saying, hey, I need to break it to you. You just killed the Messiah. You just killed Jesus. This is not good, bad news, but wait, right? So he says, he gives this, and then he comes to Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bible, you can look down in there. It's also on the screen. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. You go a little bit further in the text. He speaks a little bit more and then all of a sudden there's this amazing healing that takes place. We're going to look at this in a couple weeks. But in uh, Acts chapter 3, like 1 through 10 or so, this great healing takes place. Coming out of that, Peter begins to declare more truth. Begins to speak again. And so... He starts to say to them, hey, listen, you're shocked by some crazy miracle that just happened. There's more where that came from. And then he goes into almost a verbatim same message that he gave in this previous. And he says this in Acts 3, 19 to 21. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. So he gives these two little kind of short statements in the midst of his probably significantly long message. We don't get all parts of his message. They've kind of paraphrased it down, but there's a repeated idea that happens twice, once in Acts chapter 2 and once in Acts chapter 3. And it almost follows this infomercial kind of setting. So he says there's four major benefits. That if you capture what Peter's saying, if we all capture it, these four things will be present if we understand what he's talking about. And the first one is this, forgiveness of sin or sin being blotted out. One of the benefits of what Peter is talking about is that you and I can have our sins blotted out. We can have this forgiveness of sin. Like full and complete pardon. So imagine for a moment that you are completely guilty. 
that you are under judgment, that you've been condemned to a sentence. There is no escape. There is no hope. Everything looks bleak. And what Peter is saying, or what Peter is selling in some ways, if you will, is this, that you can be released from bondage, that you can have liberty and freedom, that you can have a complete pardon, that you can be delivered not just from condemnation, but from the fear of it, that your record will be cleared, that you, as the scriptures say, will have your sins removed as far as the east is from the West. And that's an amazing, amazing benefit. That our life, that our sin can be completely erased. The second thing he says in the text is this, that you can enter into times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. Now, maybe the best way that I can picture or describe this word picture is a time that I worked out with Kevin Longmire. Yeah, uh, Kevin, he doesn't mention this often, but uh, he's pretty into CrossFit. Uh, some of you I know know that, but I can speak about this because he's not here this morning, and I'll just tell him not to listen to the tape. But um, he, I mean, he's into CrossFit, like so into it that, again, he wouldn't tell you this, but in several weeks he will be competing at CrossFit Nationals. Like this is the World Games, he will be on ESPN with other like exceptional athletes around the world. That's why his arms look like that, right? <laughs> I mean, the, the dude's a beast, right? And so, so he, he not only loves it, but he also is going to be opening a gym soon. I mean, he's very much into CrossFit. And he said to me one day, hey, why don't tomorrow, why don't you come with me and we'll work out together? And I'm like, it's great. Sounds fine. Let's do it. So when I get to the gym, I should have known something was up because it was Ryan Miller and I that came together. Ryan was on staff at the time. And then there was Kevin. And then there was no one else in the gym. Right? So I, I should have known, like, at that point, like, find an excuse for us. Like, I should have said, like, I pulled my back reading the Bible or something. Like, something. Like... I, I'm out. I, I got to back out, right? But so he says, well, hey, today it's, it's time. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to introduce you to CrossFit. And so he said the workout for today is Filthy 50s. So for those of you that don't know Filthy 50s, you do 50 of these things consecutively. So you have like box jumps and jumping pull-ups, lunges, knees to elbows, when you're hanging, yep. Um, wall balls, like the whole deal, right? 50 of them. And he's like, now here's the key. You do this as fast as you can, which to me is just stupid, right? <laughs> like, no, let's just try to get through it. Let's not, don't worry about the time thing, right? Let's just, just try to do it. So I'm about halfway through, and I'm thinking I need times of refreshing, Right? <laughs> I, I need like a month of refreshing. <laughs> Something needs to give. In fact, as we're going through it, I started coming up with new names for this exercise. And I was trying to convince Kevin that my ideas would be really great. So I'm like, what if we, what if we called it Terrible Tens? <laughs> or like Nasty Nines? 
or like wicked ones. What if we just did? What if we just did one of each of these? That would be so good, and then we could have a great time, and we'd feel awesome about ourselves. And they was not having it, so it was like push to the end, push to vomit, the whole bit, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna finish this thing. I needed a time of refreshing. Now the text for this word refreshing it. It literally means a recovery of breath. I mean, what I needed during that moment to, to kind of give you an idea of the picture, I was so tired, so exhausted, I just needed to catch my breath. And I know that some of you are in that moment right now. I mean, some of you just received rough news, and it hit you hard, and it's need to catch your breath. Some of you are in the middle of a season of life. Maybe it's a busy schedule. Maybe it's noisy kids in the back. Maybe it's all kinds of things, right, that, that just kind of crowd in. And what you need more than anything is a little bit of a breather right now. And what he's saying is that part of the benefit of this particular thing is that you get times of refreshing, that there's this breath that comes. The third one that Peter highlights is a gift of the Holy Spirit or the presence of the Lord. We've discussed this over the last several weeks, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but you have the gift of the Spirit, which is like the power of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. You have direction. You have these divine gifts that come from Him that are at our disposal. We also have the presence of God indwelling us 24-7. I mean, these are pretty profound statements. And then he moves to this fourth promise, which is a promise for the future. It's interesting, in both particular passages, he basically says, there's a promise that's available to you because of a covenant relationship with God. And that promise guarantees two things. It guarantees that Jesus will return. That He will come again for His children or His followers. That there will be a time when He rejoins us and life for us is never the same. That there's this anticipation, there's this looking forward to that moment. But also, He says that there's this loyal love and gracious care that is demonstrated from God toward us that is not just for us, as the text says, but for our children and for their children and for their children and for all that come after and follow. I mean, that's an amazing promise. A promise toward the future. A promise that we can't even see in completeness yet. That we just trust and depend on it coming to fruition at some point. And so he says, these four benefits are present. That there is this complete forgiveness, the blotting out of sin. That there's a time of refreshing, a chance to catch your breath. There's a presence of God with you and the gifts of the Spirit, there is a loyal love that He gives for generation upon generation. And then comes the price tag, right? And the price tag is not what I would expect. I wouldn't think that this would be what the cost is, but He says the cost is repentance. You want those four things. You want those things in abundance. The cost is very simply just repentance. Now, 
I think repentance is often misunderstood. So what I want to do for just the next few moments is highlight what I would define as a definition of what repentance looks like. A practical, tangible kind of understanding of repentance. And it's defined like this. Repentance means to turn to salvation. Repentance means to turn to salvation. So the Hebrew word for repentance that is used literally means to turn or to return. The Greek word means to after or behind one's mind. It's a root word that's combined, which means to think differently afterwards. So something happens, and then your mind, you go, oh man, I need to think differently about that. I need to turn, need to change direction. That's literally what the Greek and Hebrew words mean for this idea of repentance, that there's a turning, a change, a turn to salvation. And I want to look at those two pieces, the turn piece as well as to the salvation piece, because I think if we're going to truly get the benefits, we have to grasp what repentance really is. So this idea of turning, Martin Luther, in his first theses of 95, stated this, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Now when I hear that, the first thought that generally goes into my mind is, oh, that sounds kind of awful. That my entire life is to be repentance. And that's dreadful in some ways. And I think we feel that way perhaps, or maybe I just feel that way, because of the baggage or my lack of true understanding of what repentance really is. So when you, you tell me here for a moment, when you think of repentance, what are the words that come to mind? Guilt. Sorrow. Punishment. Shame. Regret. Exposure. So like I said, not very pleasant. Like all of my life is to be about guilt and shame and exposure and, and uh, regret and, and just sorrow and self-loathing and revealing weaknesses and flaws to everybody. That just sounds horrible. And I, I think... You know, Martin Luther got his first one wrong. I don't know what the rest are, but forget it. Man, he started off bad, right? It just doesn't sound good. But here, here's the thing. I think it's because many of us see repentance as a means for atoning for our sin. So it becomes our job in some way to convince God that I'm regretful enough, that I'm sorry enough, that I feel bad enough, that I've beat myself up enough, that I, that I somehow despise myself enough for what I've done, that I can regain that favor, that I could somehow say to Him, see God, I deserve to be forgiven. I, I'm, I know I'm horrible. I hate, I just, I deserve your forgiveness. And God's going, I think we got this whole thing wrong. Right? You can't escape your consequences that way. You're you're making yourself the focus. You're making your sin the focus. And see, the whole New Testament paints a new picture. The whole New Testament paints this picture that true repentance is an understanding that Jesus did everything necessary 
for us to be completely forgiven. That God, as the Scriptures say, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That instead of us trying to earn God's forgiveness through our uh, striving in this idea of repentance, we instead freely receive Christ's righteousness alone for our goodness. So what does that look like? Practically, what does that look like? I think the best picture for me is the story of the prodigal son. I mean, you have this pursuing father, this desirous father to be reunited with his son, and then you have this son who rebelled and turned away, but now is at this place in life where what he wants to do is return, to turn, to change direction, to, after the fact, rethink what should have happened, to have a change of mind, right? And if you read through that text, what you notice is that the focus of the text is on the returning and on the relationship. It's not on the sin, the sorrow, the regret, although those things are present. What it's focused on is this returning, this relationship. See, repentance is more than us just feeling sorry for our sin. Repentance is a continual readjustment of our lives back toward Jesus. And it's freeing. It's healing. It's restorative. It's beautiful. It's it's the reason why you can say that all of life is repentance. Because I'm heading this direction and I'm like, oh man, no, it's back this way. It's what I had to do when I heard this song, God, you're faithful always. Because when I don't think that he's faithful, what I'm doing is I'm walking this way, right? And then I'm like, But no, He is. Reorient, right? It's not just some heinous thing I did. It is that also. But it is this reorienting toward walking back toward Jesus. This relationship. It's a beautiful picture. So repentance is that turn, but it's also a turn toward salvation. The reason I suggest that it's toward salvation is really because of the Hebrew understanding of this idea of repentance. See, for the Hebrew understanding, it wasn't just about the turn as much as it was also about the exodus. This movement toward freedom, this movement toward salvation. So much of the Old Testament points from the exodus forward that we are taking you from slavery to something. And so there's this great movement. And so the Hebrews understood repentance not just to be about the change for the individual, but rather the change for the whole community. That a whole community could return. That whole people groups could repent. That whole cities would turn back to God. That the community is more important in its repentance even than just the individual. But the second idea is that repentance also wasn't just a turning from something. So often when we think of it, it's like, oh, I was doing this bad thing, I need to stop doing this bad thing. Then I was doing this bad thing, and I need to stop doing this bad thing. It's not just about turning from something, but more importantly, it's turning to something. Turning to something. Big difference between the two. And the Hebrews went, well, yeah, yeah, sure, you're turning from something. Great. But it's about what you're turning to. You're turning towards salvation. You're turning towards the exodus. 
And the idea for them, or the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, is where do you, where do I expect salvation to come from? If I need liberation, if I need salvation, if I need escape, a change, for me or for the community or for the city, where do I expect that to come from? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I think most often we expect it to come from things like this. We expect it to come from government initiatives and projects. If, if Spokane as a city is going to turn and receive refreshing and receive healing and receive gifts of the Spirit and receive a change and a revival, it's going to come because we have more cool events like Hoopfest. We're going to have city projects. We're going to figure out ways to have better education and improved laws. It's going to be about better policing. We're going to figure out how to have more economic strength. We're going to provide aid where economic aid is needed. We're going to have development be the focus. We find our salvation or our liberation for us as a community and things like that. Where do we find it for in ourselves? I think we find it in our own strength often. That I'm just going to, I'm going to muscle up and do it on my own. We find it in, in consumerism. Well, if I can't feel this way, well, I'll just consume something. I'll figure out an escape. I'll find salvation some other way. But the truth is repentance is the recognition that salvation is only found through Jesus. Jesus alone. It's the only way that we'll be saved. And so N.T. Wright describes it this way. He says, as we see in Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, the phrase repent and believe the good news means basically give up your agendas and trust me for mine. This is not to say that Jesus did not give this challenge what we would call a religious or spiritual dimension. But he was telling his hearers, in other words, to give up their agendas and trust him for his way of being Israel, his way of bringing the kingdom, his kingdom agenda. See, what Jesus is calling us to in repentance is to abandon our agendas, our ideals, our means for salvation, our false expectations, and begin to follow him and pursue his agenda. That's what repentance is about. Repentance is a turning towards salvation. It's both. That's why Peter says in this text, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you. This morning, we are going to focus on communion. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians that says this, For what I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In just a few moments, we are going to remember the breaking of his body, the sacrifice of his life for us. We are also going to remember the blood. It says, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is a moment for us to remember. But he doesn't stop there. And this is the part I would encourage you with. He says, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
See, repentance is this turning. It's a turning towards salvation. And what we want to do for just the next few moments is to spend some time singing, some time taking communion. And I would encourage you to use the first little bit of time to just examine. I'm going to put a couple of questions up on the screen here at the beginning, just to examine what are the things that are replacing Jesus in terms of where you seek salvation. What are the things that in your own life you need to begin to turn from? Maybe there's something that has just been just kind of dragging you the opposite direction of Christ. And remember, it's not just that thing. The point is the turn, right? The point is the pursuit. It's about coming back to Jesus, that there's freedom in that. And what he wants, just like the prodigal son, is not for you to wallow with the pigs, but rather to return to the relationship and find joy in that. Let's pray.